This is the Joyful Mama Show. We want to help you take actionable steps toward dreams that have more impact, family life that has more peace, and motherhood that has more joy. We think that it's time for moms to rise up in entrepreneurship and change the world. But let's face it, it's hard to sort through all of the ways we get stuck in our own heads and all of the things we feel like we're supposed to be doing. How can we change the world when we're overwhelmed with trying not to feel overwhelmed about homeschooling or power struggles with our kids or taking care of our own hearts, our bodies, and our minds? We want to give you the tools to find rest, joy, and healing while also taking your business and your dreams to the next level. You know you were made for more than hustle. You can feel that you were made for more than the lies that hold you back. And we believe that you were made for amazing things that impact the kingdom of God and the people that God has given you to impact for Him. You were made to be a joyful mama, to have a heart that is thriving, not striving. And we want to help you step into the fullness of all you were created to become. Okay. Yeah, this is a rough, this is a rough conversation. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Joyful Mama Show. And today, I cannot say the usual. We're so excited to have this conversation with you because we're truly not excited to have this conversation. And yet we're willing because we really believe it's necessary. And ultimately, our heart towards all of you guys is that you would you know, just feel close to our hearts that you would feel not alone. If you've been in any part of the struggle that we've been in since the recent developments and unfolding of what's happening at IHOP KC and specifically with with Mike Bickle. And we just, you know, we acknowledge that this is like a, a man who has been considered a spiritual father in both of our lives, a leader that we've both looked up to. We've read his books. We've consumed his teachings. We've sat in rooms with him. We have felt distantly, like even in like some form of relationship with him, because as you know, when you read someone's books and listen to their podcasts and all those things, you actually feel like you know them, even though they don't know you. And so, you know, we've, we've promoted the International House of Prayer and shared our stories and our involvement We've shared how I've sent my kids to their camps, those kind of things. And with all the recent, if you haven't heard, we'll share a little bit about what the allegations and and just what's happening and what's in the news right now with that ministry and specifically with Mike Bickle. We just felt like it was necessary for us to address it because we have on the podcast openly promoted and talked about the ministry and specifically Mike Bickle and his books and all of those things. So it's a sad conversation, not one we ever imagined having to have or want to have. And yet here we are and we can't just be silent because we have used our voice to talk positively and promote. I know I've led a lot of people, families, yeah, you should send your kid to this camp. Yes, you should, you know, read this book, all the things. And, you know, honestly, we're just heartbroken. As dramatic as it sounds, like we're both devastated at what has unfolded since October. I believe it was late October when we first heard about some moral moral failures, deep, deep, awful moral failures on Mike's part. And then, you know, just what that means for us. So Sarah, how should we actually start this conversation? That was like a heck of an intro. (laughs) Yeah, well, I guess we could start by 
recapping just a little bit of what has transpired. So as soon as we started hearing about the story when it broke in October and kind of got quote unquote leaked to the internet and then Julie Royst did an article about it and all these things were coming out. Basically, a Jane Doe came forward and accused Mike Bickle of, I don't even know what it was technically, if she was accusing him of sexual immorality or sexual abuse. There's lots of articles you can go read to get more specific details. Uh, Julie, the Roy's report has been super informative if you want to recap. And so allegations came forward and IHOP went through like a, man, just a, it's been crazy watching it unfold, especially a ministry that we've loved because I have from afar seen like the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention going through, you know, you see other churches like going through these things that you're not affiliated with. That, so you don't necessarily have like a personal connection to it. It's just like, wow, that's awful. I can't believe that happened. But when the allegations came forward to Mike Bickle, I think most of the world was shocked. It was mm -hmm. the last, probably the last person that I expected allegations like this to come to light about. I really cannot think. Maybe Francis Chan might have been like the other person that I would have been just. Or Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson, yeah. Like, but for me, Mike Bickle was the absolute last. Like, um, he almost had like a innocence about him that made it seem so unfathomable. So when allegations first came forward, the internet went crazy, which I hop, if you don't know, is kind of like the first House of Prayer started in 1999. And all these houses of prayers across the country have were inspired by IHOP, maybe not necessarily related to IHOP, but inspired and started houses of prayers and churches and ministries across the nation and across the world. They broadcast their prayer room 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I would spend every single morning listening to IHOP worship while I got ready. Uh, live worship from the prayer room or pre-recorded like from the day before while I got ready for work every morning. So when everything started unfolding, it was just like, this is impossible. Like at the same time, because of the current culture and what has been happening across the church, across the world, there's this like automatic, oh my gosh, this is probably true. Because... <laughs> I've seen this, especially since when the Me Too movement started. And there has just been like this unfolding of women finally getting their voice and coming forward. And the Jane Doe that came forward, it was from a couple decades ago. And so everyone was just in mass confusion, including us. And like, how could this be? At the same mm -hmm. time, feeling like, well, I've learned that if you're going to ruin your life potentially by coming forward with massive allegations like this, you're probably not <laughs> making it up. So there was immediately this tension of that. Um, and then as time went on, like it got really, really messy. Lots of leaders that were in that organization were the ones like they had been there previously and they were the ones bringing forward the allegations on behalf of the Jane Doe and then another Jane Doe. And then there was lots of other possible stories and um, it's just been a back and forth. No, this is true. No, this is true. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. A lot of people who have previously left IHOP are involved in the desire to see it, all the truth come to light. So there's like a ton of people that have already left IHOP Casey on the internet being like, we want the truth. We don't trust IHOP anymore. And 
we cannot move forward until IHOP takes responsibility for what has been going on. And then other stories started coming up about other leaders and the Heaven Bent podcast came out uh, with a season on IHOP at the exact same time, coincidentally, (laughs) that the allegations came forward. So they were already doing a season on IHOP KC. And so there was former interns that were bringing forth their story, former staff members bringing forth their stories. And it has just been like a whirlwind of um, uncovering, a whirlwind of finally seeing things for what it is. And at this point, IHOP has done an investigation with an attorney and has released a statement saying, pretty much summarizing that Mike Bickle probably did these things with Jane Doe. And there was another person that he has admitted to doing something, it's very vague, doing something that equates to sexual immorality. And I can't remember if it says spiritual abuse, but basically clergy, clergy abuse. Mm -hmm. Then yesterday, another story came out in the Kansas City Star where a woman who, I think she was in her late 50s at this point. um, 57, I think. Yeah. Finally was able to share the story of how Mike Bickle had groomed her and sexually abused her and when she was 14 and he was 25, married with two children. And so at this point, it's just like, what's next? What's going to come out next? Because I heard a statistic today that 20,000 staff members have gone through IHOP at this point. A staff member means like somebody that's praying in the prayer room and is doing it full-time or part-time. So there are now tens of thousands of people that have gone through that ministry. So the amount of stories, I think, that are going to start unfolding of not just Mike Bickle, but IHOP and how they've swept things under the rug or how they haven't handled things well. The microscope is intense on that ministry right now. So we've just been kind of here. We're not like officially affiliated with IHOP. Neither one of us have ever been on staff there Um, in about 2000. Six or two, no, 2005. I was there for six months unofficially. I was just living there. I rented a room from a girl and I went to the prayer room like six to eight hours a day and was just in there. But I was not like on staff. I wasn't an intern. I wasn't, I was just there kind of like getting healing for my heart in the prayer room and just being there in worship sets. And then I've definitely promulgated Mike Bickle's teachings. And I actually found him to be such a, what seemed such, like such a healthy, stable, calming presence in the charismatic church. He seemed to be so wise and so not extreme in his language and just seemed to just really want to teach people passion for Jesus and the love of God. So that was why what attracted me was his, his stability, honest, he, honestly, like his stability. So yeah, if we want to go back to the day we found out, Liz, your daughters were actually, was it one of them or two of them? Just one, my 16-year-old. Yeah, she was at the Awakening Teen Camp when the first, you know, leak came out. And I don't remember, did you text me? Did I text you? I think I texted you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maya was there. And I was like, there's no way. And so I went immediately into... 
I knew in the back of my mind exactly what you said. Okay, if someone's willing to come forward and actually make these allegations, knowing what's on the other side of that, like they'd have to be absolutely crazy to even begin that process because he's such a public figure, millions of followers, you know, like it's a huge, huge accusation to make against a very well-known, well-respected, loved man. And so I first was like, there's absolutely no way. There had to have been like some crazed fan or some young girl who just like had a crush on him and she probably wanted something to happen and he rejected her. And so she's just making this up. That was my first excuse I made in my head to prove like to my own heart, like there's no way he couldn't. And it was really interesting because that day Maya was on the way home in the bus and I was like, how is everything going there? If she hadn't heard, I didn't. So they, she was at the camp, but they had been like at KC. And then they took a bus to this like wilderness camp that was in like Oklahoma, I think. So they were on their way back to IHOP campus when I texted her. And she's like, yeah, we're good. And I was like, how's everything? I should have not done this. I should have like waited for her to get home. But I was like a little nervous, you know? So I was like, hey, um, how's everything going with like the unfolding or whatever? I'm like, are you guys okay? And she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry I even said anything. We'll talk about it when you get home. And she's like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Like now you open the door. And I was like, it's probably not even true, but there ha- there have been some like allegations made against Mike Bickle and it's kind of blowing up. And she was like, no way. Like what? <laughs> you know, it's like she's 16. So like so curious. And she said, well, when we got back to the prayer room, there were cameras. There was a lot like media was there. The news was like, we didn't, we just figured they were doing like a story on what God is doing at IHOP. Like they had, she had no idea. And I knew that the, the people she was with were like with the youth ministry. She wasn't with Mike Bickle, but I just had this like instant heart drop. And then my parents who were somehow saw it on the internet and they're texting me, is Maya okay? What, <laughs> like questioning my parenting, like, why is she there? What's going on? They're thinking like, she's, you know, who knows what they were thinking, but it was extreme. And so since then, like, it's, yeah, it's just been this like crazy swirl of, you know, my, I never lived at IHOP, but especially during like the single mom years, like that was where I, I really built the foundation of me with the Lord and healing my heart. And I would go to the One Thing Conference every single year. That was like something I saved up for all year long and would go with like our church group and left the kids with my parents or with their dad. And for like several years in a row, like that was like me going, whether I had friends going or not, like I was just going to be alone with Jesus. And I had like many like life altering, like crazy prophetic things that happened at at that event where like the Lord spoke to me or someone else spoke prophetically over me and it just changed the trajectory of my life. So it's like, when I think of IHOP, I'm like, I think it's like home in a lot of ways. Like the times I've had in the prayer room, just journaling, even like you said, I would live stream, I would play the live stream in our home all the time. Like that was just like in the background all the time, in the morning, in the afternoon, like (laughs) it was just like always on. And I feel like even like my kids' childhood was shaped by that, like who they are and like who 
I was as a mom and then like who I was trying to show them to be was so birthed out of the 24-7 prayer movement, having a lifestyle of intercession, creating an atmosphere of worship in our home with the 24-7 stream, like all those things. And again, like you said, Mike Bickle just felt like this really safe dad figure who, you know, unlike some of the other more charismatic, more passionate, like leaders there who I loved just as much, but he just brought this like solid grounding that just, it felt really safe. And so reading these stories, you know, Sarah, you sent me this article last night about the girl who was 14 and reading that article about how he like, not just groomed her, groomed her parents, worked his way into their home, gave her a Bible, started studying scripture with her, led her to the Lord. Like it's so twisted and sick that even his personality and the way he we all saw him worked in his favor to be a pedophile. It's so disheartening. I wanted so badly for it to not be true. And I'm still like, gosh, it just feels so wrong to even say it. But I mean, at this point, like there's literally no way it could be denied. And then when like Alan Hood and um, David Chisholm, who I know personally, and we have like, we're friends with his daughter, his daughter-in-law, Um, and his son, like close connections, when they started coming out and just saying, we saw this, there was this other issue with his son and um, infidelity. And it was known, but it was swept under the rug. Like there's all these other things like beyond him with underage girls. Like there was just all this other like moral compass stuff that there was just such a lack of integrity and addressing things that should be addressed in a church or ministry setting when there's stuff happening. Like it just, the whole thing of like how it all seems to have been going down there for like decades is, it's just heartbreaking. And so, yeah, now we're at this place. It's like, man, there were allegations for years that IHOP was a cult just because of the way people would flock to the, it was a, we said, it's not a cult, it's a movement. People are drawn there because Jesus is moving there. And now it's like, do we need to like go back and like reevaluate everything that we believe that was based on his teachings that seemed so scripturally sound? And so honestly, like that's where I'm like just allowing myself to be like open hands, open heart, and just like, you know, asking the questions like, can God use someone in a good way to really teach and bless and admonish and pour wisdom out even when they're living this like secret life? Because we've seen that happen with like other prominent leaders through time where it's like, okay, they're advancing the kingdom and they're doing the work of the Lord in some respect, but there's this whole other side where it's dark, like super dark. And I won't even go through listing all the names of all you know those people, those from what I can remember, the only ones I know of have been men. But yeah, I'm just like, you know, we're having hard conversations with with my girls. I think that there has been so much good that has come to my life and who has helped me grow into the woman I am today because of that ministry. And so that's like a weird tension to hold. Like, I can't regret that I was there and that that was such a huge part of my discipleship process, honestly. And at the same time, I feel so accountable and responsible to go reevaluate, like, just some of the things I was taught that I've just held on to as truth because I so trusted the source and maybe didn't um, do as much added research as I should have on the back end. I don't know. So where are you at? How are you processing? 
I think the fact that we were not hurt by IHOP is a big factor. There's like a whole another group that were hurt by IHOP and also maybe spoke up or they just left and have been trying to heal. And now this is all coming up. It's bringing all that hurt up again. And for some of them, it's a justification. For others, I've heard people being angry. Like we were saying this all the time, like you never listened to us. Like, look what it took. It shouldn't have, like, why wasn't my voice powerful enough to get you to listen? Wow. And so I feel for like all the people involved that gave like decades, some of them of their lives or helped founded, you know, IHOP and are dealing now with the pain coming there. I'm sure they're feeling mixed emotions too. So we're just coming in like we weren't hurt by IHOP. We just were on the on the outside. And so we're processing this like very differently than people that were hurt by IHOP and then found this out. So I feel like we have this very like different path in front of us. And I have experienced the other side of it where I've been hurt by a ministry and then allegations came forward or thing truth got revealed. And it was like, oh my gosh, I've been trying to say this all along. Like <laughs> this ministry, mm-hmm. there's so much going on here that nobody is seeing. So I've been on both sides of it. But yeah, I think like, I think that it gives me so much compassion for anyone who's doing any kind of quote unquote deconstruction. I've always said that I've been somebody that has constantly deconstructed my entire life, that I have unlearned. I've always just called it unlearned. I have unlearned and relearned my entire life. And Mm -hmm. there have always been moments where I'm like, oh, I don't think that's the doctrine or the way of living or the belief system that I'm supposed to stay under anymore. I'm supposed to come into a new season of understanding God in a different way or scripture in a different way. And so I've always allowed myself to question and allowed myself to, not always, but at a certain point in life, that became like a normal part of life, was questioning things and questioning authority and saying, why are we doing it this way? Or like, how is this scriptural? Or I don't agree with your interpretation of this. And even everything that I've personally gone through with like, why aren't there women leading in the church? Like, why don't women mm-hmm. have equality? This has been a huge issue to me and something that I have been fighting for for a while now. And, you know, I'm just seeing younger women who grew up in more fundamentalist backgrounds starting to wrestle with these things too. And I've been able to a little bit like help some of them walk through it because it's not easy when your whole foundation crumbles underneath you and everything that you thought was true, you're not questioning. But I think you have to. I think you have to go back at some level, like you said, open hands, open heart, like, Lord, show me if I was under a belief system or under a doctrine or understanding scripture in a certain way that is not actually healthy and not the way you see things. And I think a huge thing for me, like when I read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality back in 2020, it was such a huge eye-opener for me because, and I can see it playing playing out now, IHOP. There's just like a very constant over-spiritualization of things. And even Mike Bickle himself, Mm -hmm. you know, we watched him try to do that. The Sunday before the allegations came forward and were public, 
he preached a message on Revelation, and he tried to spin it so that he was preaching that, you know, false accusations are going to come against us, and like, we got to not believe them, and that's the enemy, and that's the devil, and this is spiritual warfare. And it was like a classic over-spiritualization, but this was for the purpose of manipulation. Mm -hmm. Um, What I have also seen a lot coming out of people who are commenting and following what's happening with IHOP and just in general in the charismatic church is an over-spiritualization. Like I heard lots of people saying like, well, like this is just happening because uh, IHOP was praying for Israel. And now like this is obviously a spiritual attack because they were praying for Israel. So now like, can't you guys see this is just a spiritual attack? Like don't believe any of, don't fall for these accusations. This is a spiritual attack. And so the language that people have used because they're in these echo chambers of the rhetoric and like the not even being like um, in aware of their emotions or being able to separate like what is just he- their own humanity and their own feelings and emotions as opposed to like what's warfare, like demonic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see this so much, you know, in the charismatic, mm-hmm. front, you know, we have a lot of charismatic friends, like in people and the way they talk, um, you know, they're like, even I heard someone say like something about, um, you know, this is the new wineskin, quote unquote. And I'm like, why can't I, I've been hearing the quote, the new wineskin for like four decades now. <laughs> like it's old wineskin at this point. Like, let's just say like, we want to do something different. Like, why do we have to say, like, <laughs> that new Hawaiian skin? Like, why can't we just talk like normal human beings, you know? Like, um, mm-hmm. but, but so that's, like, kind of funny. But in this case of, like, people, this really horrible thing happening and people spiritualizing it away and not being able to emotionally handle and face it is serious and um, just shows, like, an area where the church needs to grow in their emotional <laughs> intelligence and capabilities of recognizing their own emotions and feelings and yeah so it's just been strange to watch and it's been difficult to watch and it's been hard at times to know who's telling the truth but I think at this point it's pretty clear that mm-hmm. we know we know that yeah. Mike Vickle was sexually abusing and who knows how many people um I think the stories will keep coming out but also when you see like a ministry that has focused so much, their whole purpose and mission is 24-7 prayer and worship to the glory of God, to quote-unquote keep the fire burning on the altar. But when the organization has gotten so big and there are so many leaders and there's so little oversight and there are certain people who are untouchable because they're at the top and they have the authority and there's very little women at the table compared to men, I think that it's like, okay, well, obviously we all want prayer and worship, but like, what are we willing to look over and be like, well, I'm just going to push that under the rug to keep the prayer and worship movement going. Like it's causing us to actually ask, what does God actually want? What is actually glorifying to him? him? And what does he actually care about? Like, does he care Mm -hmm. about 24-7 prayer and worship more than he cares about people being honest and pure and have real relationships and to not be lording authority over others, um, to not be 
hiding things and pushing sin under the, you know, like what does he actually care about? I think for the moment, any allegations comes out, even when it was like Hillsong or the SBC or, you know, whatever these allegations, the moment it comes out, I immediately feel this like, oh my gosh, God, am I doing anything that is remotely similar to these organizations? Am I taking what authority you've given me? Am I like misusing anything? Like, is there any possible way I am doing what they are doing with my parenting or in my, I don't know, like, I'm just like, purify me, Lord. I don't want to reflect what I'm seeing and so disgusted by. I don't want to reflect it in any possible way. I love that. I should do that. I've honestly been so mad. I've been so grieved. And then having teenage daughters, I get, I've been furious. Mm. Like, how dare you? And especially after, I'm still pretty hot after reading this story that you shared last night about the 14-year-old because I have a daughter who's turning 14 in a couple weeks. That article was very detailed in like the progression of how it started and how the things he did and how vulnerable she was and how her parents, like he played racquetball with her dad and she babysat his kids. So he would like drive her home from babysitting. And then it was like during those, like one of those times, like after months, maybe even a year of like slowly grooming her and her family to trust him, pulled off into this parking lot and is like, do you have feelings for me as more than a friend? Mm-hmm. And then having her call on the payphone f- from her lunch, from her cafeteria when she was at school, like all these kind of like absolutely insane things. And I'm thinking like, if someone did that to my daughter, my little like 14 is such an age of innocence, especially back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like now with like social media and the the culture is just in a different place, but still like my 14-year-old who's homeschooled and like somewhat sheltered, whatever. She's very innocent. And like, she's starting to have like little crushes on boys and like, oh, he's cute or hot or whatever. But so like pure, so pure. And the things that she shared, like this went on for like, I think two years their like quote unquote relationship to think. And then she was like devastated and heartbroken when he moved away. And like, like literally because of his abuse and manipulation, that was like what she would have considered her first love was a 25 year old grown man with two children and a wife. Like Mm -hmm. it is so messed up. And the thought of someone manipulating and grooming my daughter in that way to elicit real feelings like there it was real to her like she felt like oh this is wrong and i shouldn't but i can't help it he's so handsome and he says these things and he's teaching me about jesus and he's given me my first bible and you know all these things like it's so it's just infuriating to me while i'm like man the the spiritually mature thing to do like you're doing is like okay is there anything i can know what can i work on and i'm just sitting here thinking if anybody <laughs> would ever like you know, and then I have to think like in the kingdom, like if if we truly are like the family of God, like those girls that were victims, like they are our sisters, are they are our family. And I should be just as mad that it happened to them. And I am. Like I'm grieved, like to the point of lots of tears. And then I'm angry to the point like clenched fists, like you know, the lines you get in your fist from like your fingernails digging in. Like we all trusted you. And it's just so messed up. But anyway. All that to say, our daughters deserve better. And whatever was like, whatever, all the things that led 
to that happening over the course of so many decades and it never being either caught or outed until now. Like we we are accountable to make sure that in our churches and our that cannot continue. Like that cannot happen. There have to be measures we're taking as parents, as women, like to make sure there are hedges, there are boundaries. Like I mean, none of us would ever think like our kids' youth pastor would ever do something inappropriate. But clearly, what we think couldn't happen actually can. And mm-hmm. so what are you doing to make sure that your daughter, like you know who they're with, you know they're not alone with a grown man male other than like, you know, their dad. But I know I'm having like very serious and uncomfortable conversations with my daughters to make sure that they are using their voices to make sure they're never in situations where anything inappropriate could even begin to happen. And also I'm like becoming the the Nazi of who they're with, where where they are, for how long, who all's there, like all those things. If they're babysitting for someone, I know who they are, I know where they are, the wife is around, like all those kinds of things. Like, cause you just truly never know. Like you said, Mike Bickle is the very last person we would have thought. And yet here we are. How many women are in the wake of his like unhealthy sexual desires that involved minor girls? Like what what I'm thinking is like, how can I put this hedge of protection and equip my daughters with wisdom and knowledge? Because truly, if I put myself in some of the like the Jane Doe's shoes and if I were you know, I didn't have high self-esteem. I would have been the perfect victim for something like that because I had, I've always, not now as much, but historically I was always a people pleaser and I had a hard time saying no because I never wanted to hurt someone's feelings. That was like just who I was for years until I started becoming more emotionally healthy and acknowledging like my voice matters. And even if I hurt someone's feelings, I have the right to say no to whatever it's kind of a miracle that I've not been through a story like that or sexual abuse, but I think it's right to feel angry. Like, I think it's right to feel like this is not okay. And something that is to me pretty obvious that the Lord's doing is changing the tide of the church. Like it has been a men's club for so long and there have been all these men, like you said, every single story that we've heard about has been from a man spiritually or sexually abusing a woman or a girl or a boy. There's no women balancing out or holding accountable or the church is just so lopsided right now. And there's been so much authority given to these men who obviously are not emotionally mature enough to handle it. And even just the thought, you know, when Mike Bickle made his statement, he basically said, I thought that I had done enough like I had from the Jane Doe I had she was 19 at the time he's like I and he was 42 I had repented and I had you know to the Lord and that was it he's such a smart and intelligent person how did he not think that he needed to get to like the root of the issue and to get healing and to let other people into that process into the healing so that he could walk as a whole person. Like, how did he not go get counseling? How did he not have a therapist? How did he not have accountability? Like, how was this all kept under wraps? And he thought that was okay. He thought Mm -hmm. he just needed to repent to the God 
and then all his sin was washed. Yes, all his sin was washed away. Like, yes, you repent, but then you have to restore and you have to go make things right and you have to turn. Repenting means turning. You're never going to do that again. Like, it's not just like, oh, I'm sorry. Oops, I messed up. Okay, push delete, moving on. I cannot fathom that he thought that that was right or okay and was leading this movement that, like you said, has millions of followers, people all over the world. And it's just beyond my comprehension. And, you Thank know, you. I have <laughs> so crazy to me. And, and I think this goes to, a lot of different issues that I'm seeing in the church and that I want to reform. Like, I want to be part of the solution and part of the reformation of what God is doing among believers. And I want to be there for the women and the men that are now questioning all their beliefs and who are now in the pain of having to do that and not have that feeling of home anymore or that feeling of stability. You know, even when we first talked, when this first happened, I remember my husband could barely talk for like the whole rest of the night and some of the next day. He was just like listening to worship music in his headphones. He was so distraught because he hadn't spent a lot of time at IHOP either, but he had, God had so changed his life through just like listening to the prayer room and spending hours with Jesus, just listening to the prayer room early on in our marriage. And he like encountered the Holy Spirit for the first time in a different way than he ever had. And his life had been like so transformed just through the live stream of the prayer room. And Mm -hmm. we had always imagined ourselves like retiring one day to IHOP or something like because I think we feel the same way that it was like yes. home. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was, there yes. was no place on earth that I've ever been that when I went into the prayer room, it was like a taste of heaven. It was like mm-hmm. most peaceful, um, like during a worship set, like it was just like home. Like this is what I was made for. This is where I belong. And it was always so sad to leave and go back to regular life because was like, yeah. oh, this is this is like what my heart longs for. And we would imagine ourselves like retiring there one day um, when we're old and just like us in the yeah. prayer room, you know? <laughs> yes. And I, so we we've have talked to about that, that even recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I just remember you even recently talking about retiring there. And, you know, when when Dave and I got married and we we didn't have a lot of money, so it was like, okay, we can do a weekend getaway somewhere. Dave had never been to IHOP. And so I'm like, let's go to Kansas City. Let's go to IHOP. We listened to Mike and Diane. Um, we got married on February 12th. So it was like that Sunday was Valentine's Day. And they did a whole message on um, marriage and b- like biblical marriage. That was like we were prophesied over in one of the prophecy rooms um, and that was like the the foundation in the very beginning of like our marriage, our new family together. Shortly after that, Heidi Baker was visiting IHOP and did like a women's conference there. And I took Olivia, our oldest. She was at the time maybe 15. And I was like her new stepmom. She'd never been in a charismatic 
church or environment. So like took her to IHOP, you know, she was in the midst of Mike Bickle and Heidi Baker, all the, all those people. And like still to this day, her boyfriend has a brother that lives in Kansas City. And every time she, they go visit her, his brother, they'll make a point to go to the the prayer room. And like last time they were there, she was like, oh my goodness, we were in the prayer room and Mike Bickle was in there. And I was kind of like, she didn't say she was fangirling, but she was like, it was so crazy because like I've been to the conferences where there's like thousands and thousands of people and he's like so far away and he was just right there. And, you know, it's just been, it's just been such an interwoven part of like our family. And um, yeah, it's, it's just sad and, and infuriating. And so really we, we wanted to invite you guys into how we've processed, you know, Sarah, like when she reads something or finds something, she'll send it to me and we'll talk back and forth. We've kind of processed through the whole thing the last couple of months together. And um, we just felt like it was time to have an open conversation about it. And if any of you guys are like us and you're feeling all those things, anger and, and hurt and betrayed like I have felt so betrayed like by someone I I trusted even though he didn't know me um we just don't want you to feel alone in that and so we wanted to have the conversation so that if you're kind of where we're at and struggling through the emotions we just want to encourage you to keep processing through and seeking the Lord and also just let you know that we're here with you and we're in the boat with you and and we don't want you to go through this alone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And God is not afraid of your questions and he's not afraid of your processing. And he's not afraid of your anger or your fear or your feelings and emotions. Mm-hmm. And I do think that if you stay in the process of processing, <laughs> mm-hmm. that you will come out on the other end and mm-hmm. he will heal you. Whether it's I have KC that you're thinking through and recovering from, or whether it's another church or whether it's just the church in general, mm-hmm. he will heal you and he will heal us and our emotions and bring us to the other side of where he wants the church to be. Because I do think there's so much that he longs for in his bride and we are so far from that and that can feel overwhelming to feel like Mm -hmm. we're so far from where we should be to even be exhibiting the fruit of the spirit and the kingdom (laughs) no like yeah it's overwhelming and i get that church can feel unsafe and christians can feel unsafe but I do believe that God is safe and that he's a good father. He is going to purify the church and we will come out the other side. And, you know, that verse like in the gates of hell shall not prevail and neither will our own sin and humanity. Yeah, we just want to encourage you to Mm -hmm. to stay close to him. Stay close to the one who is faithful, the one who is pure the one who always provides and who is our comforter and our help in time of need. Um, This is where your help comes from. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you want to say anything else before we end? Even though I just wanted to say like, it's possible to be angry and 
sickened and all those and hurt and betrayed and all those things and still ultimately be like, man, the best ending to this story would be that Mike Bickle would eventually come to his senses and be like, and and not have the secrets and not try to put up the wall of protection on himself and just be so transparent and truly repentant. Not the like his, I don't want to say half, half booty statement of like, oh, I'll admit to this like kind of thing, but not really call it out. Like none of that crap, but like actually with like a groaning and like dis- like disgust with like the sin. Like this is what I've done. This is who I've hurt. I am fully owning it. I'm asking for forgiveness from you. I'm asking for for- forgiveness from the Lord. I'm totally willing to step down from any place of leadership or ministry. I need help and I'm willing to get the help. If If he were to ever come to that place, that would be the ultimate like, that would be the ultimate goal, you know, like that there could be restoration for even his soul. Like, Hmm. anyway, I just wanted to add that, like, I'm mad and I'm hurt and all those things, but ultimately like the greatest outcome of all of this would, would be that the victims get some kind of peace and justice from having had their stories heard and there being some kind of consequence for the damage he's done to them physically, spiritually, emotionally, that they will have to now carry for the rest of their lives. There needs to be justice on that front. But also, how awesome would it be if he truly did repent? Like truly. Not that not that if he truly repents, that changes anything of what he deserves for the consequences of his actions. I think he should probably be in prison for a very long time, maybe forever. But I still hope that he he truly repents and becomes right with the Lord because this thing he's calling repentance and and saying sorry isn't what it truly looks like. And that is actually probably what has disgusted me the most yeah. is like the halfway admitting it, but not really. And still like, oh, but it was 20 years ago. Like that makes it any better. Yeah, it's almost like the halfway. And I have felt that too, even just... W- watching leaders from afar when you know that the the whole story isn't out but they're still hiding details because they don't mm-hmm. want to be they don't want it to be known they're still hiding and so they just like exit the scene and you just stop hearing from them for a while and then they re-enter the scene with a new ministry and you know half of their past followers come back to them and you just watch these people go through these cycles. Like, when mm-hmm. when are we going to have truth? When are we going to have, like, honest leaders? And it's always these men. And mm-hmm. I I hope that doesn't happen with Mike Bickle, that he somehow pops back up with a new ministry and never faced what he did and never repented publicly. I hope that he doesn't do that. And I hope that the church stops being duped by people's giftings and mm-hmm. not calling them to integrity of character and purity before the Lord. And again, that just makes me like, if I'm going to ask for that, then I need to be that. You know, I can't demand that of other people unless I'm willing at the same time to stand under that and to let that be the standard for my own life. It's true. That's so good. Well, on that note, This has been a somber and sobering episode because there's somber and sobering and horrific things happening in the church right now, and we're all feeling it. I don't, maybe some people are immune because they've got their heads in the sand, but we certainly aren't. 
and mm-hmm. we're standing and fighting and using our voice to call for change and to be the change and to keep praying and asking the Lord, what is our role in all of this? What do you want us to do? What's our calling in this season when it comes to other believers and what, how are we supposed to interact with the body? And as we're volunteering at our churches or taking part in church meetings and all these things, like what's our role? What's our part to play? And we invite you to ask those questions too, you know? Yeah. Um, Let's ask them together and see what God does. So I guess we will talk to you guys next time. We love Mm -hmm. you and keep on going. Bye, guys. Bye. To get our free heart-centered homeschooling ebook or to book a breakthrough call about homeschooling or business with Sarah, visit the links in the description of this podcast. Also, we always want to hear your questions or ideas for new podcasts, so do please slide into our DMs on Instagram or post in our Facebook group. We would love to hear from you.